Uh, thank you, Randy. I, uh, I got the notice that this was the appropriate shirt for this morning because uh, I, I was noticing we're wearing like the exact same shirt. Um, Steve called me uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, to be really honest, he, when he told me what he was thinking about, um, I told him I was going to pray about it, and I did pray about it, but uh, this particular topic is something I think is so near to God's heart that uh, I, unless God told me no, I was going to be here with you guys this morning or this, this evening. Uh, I really think this, this particular idea is, is really important. Discipleship, and what does that look like in our families, and how do we be the people that God wants us to be and raise up our kids to be the people that God wants them to be? Uh, for those of you guys that don't know me, which is most of you, uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or a Christian family. And so this is a topic that I think about a lot with six kids of our own, and we have uh, another one that we've, <clears throat> we've adopted, a 20-year-old that still lives with us. Um, we just think a lot about how does God want to use families for his kingdom purposes. You know, last month, uh, one of my, my closest friends, probably my, my closest friend, he retired from the Navy. And uh, he was a, a naval flight officer, had done it for over 20 years. He was the, the best man in my wedding. He came down and... and uh, spent a weekend with my wife and I, he and his wife, and the, the four of us just, just talked. And honestly, the, the primary conversation that we had was about how important this topic is and how often we felt like it doesn't get discussed at the level it ought to be with other believers. Uh, as, as we were talking, we were just counting back, 13 kids between our two families and just how it seems to be so important in our life that even as his family has moved all around the world as a part of his journey being in the Navy, uh, and as our family has moved all around the world doing the mission work that God's called us to do, uh, that concept has been a constant. As my, my, my friend and I were talking, uh, he was recounting some of his stories about being on an aircraft carrier. And uh, it, it really kind of gave me this kind of cool illustration I want to share with you guys this morning. Um, you know, there's, there's a, a great deal of similarity between an aircraft carrier and a cruise ship. You know, they're, they're roughly the same size. A cruise ship is about 360 meters long, and the average aircraft carrier is about 340 meters long, so about the same size. Both of them stand about the same height out of the water, about six stories out of the water. These are enormous vessels. I mean, you can kind of get a, a grasp on what they look like up there on the screen. A cruise ship carries somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 passengers on average. And they have a, a very distinct purpose as opposed to an aircraft carrier. They hold between 5,000 and 6,000 sailors plus their, their captains, their lieutenants, and any other crew that they may have come on board. And in, in a wartime, they may have as many as 10,000 people on board one of their aircraft carriers. But typically, right around that 5,000 to 6,000 mark. Both of them are exceptional at their given function. They have very different functions, but they're both great at what they do. You know, a, a cruise ship has a very distinct purpose. It's there to entertain the masses. It takes them on adventures. They go to fun locations, and they do great things that we want to do as a family, things that we enjoy. People are there because they want to be entertained. They go to the, the, see the musicians perform on board, to watch the magicians do tricks, to see how the comedians are going to entertain them, to do the water slides, and to do all the fun stuff that's there on the cruise ship. The food is endless 
on a cruise ship. You know, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, they want to feed you, and they want to feed you some more, and they want to feed you some more. I mean, it's, it's a bountiful amount of food they put on these cruise ships. Their end goal is this, that their user experience would be second to none. They want to keep every customer happy because ultimately, those customers are going to make a decision and will rate their experience based upon how they felt while they were on board. That's their end goal. Now, that's very different than an aircraft carrier. You know, when you're on an aircraft carrier, it heads into unsafe areas, places of warfare, places where there's unrest in the world around them. They're essentially a floating city ready to fight for a mission that they know has been placed before them. A properly equipped aircraft carrier, specifically in the United States military, can launch a plane every 25 seconds to go and attack the enemy at any given moment in time. They can also land a plane that's traveling at over 100 miles an hour. Typically, they come in landing about 109 miles an hour, snatch them down onto the deck in a runway that's shorter than the length of a football field. 90 meters long is the, is the runway deck on these, plane, on these aircraft carriers. Land them, and then within minutes, be ready for the next plane to come in in succession, refuel them, and get them back out to get into the war. Every person on board that aircraft carrier knows exactly what their role is, and they execute it with excellence. They do it without fault. They do it without flaw. From the cook to the pilot to the captain, every person knows what they're called to do. They also understand that their role in fulfilling that process is not about themselves, but it's about the goal of the mission. Now, that's very different than that cruise ship. And I think in, in many ways, those two analogies, those two different types of ships, they're a picture of how we often operate as churches. We tend to be in one category or the other. We oftentimes tend to develop a kind of cruise ship mentality. This bigger is better, and everyone's here to have fun. And so we organize our programs, and we organize our VBS, and our youth group, and, and all these different things that we do, our musical style, where we meet and when we meet, our Sunday service, all those things are organized around the concept of will we enjoy it? Will we have a good review at the end of it? But some churches, they do things differently. Some churches, they operate with that aircraft carrier mentality. They see themselves as being organized not around whether people will enjoy it or not, but around the purpose of being engaged in the spiritual war that's taking place, knowing that there is a purpose for why we are here and that it's not about being here, it's about being out there. They see how you have unique goals and giftings and that the Spirit has worked within you for his design to be realized in your life. They recognize that the kingdom work that's going to take place is not about you, but it's about God's purposes. And they're willing to put aside their own desires for those purposes to be reached. I know Hope Church a little. And what I have seen as I've gotten to be around Pastor Steve is you guys are in that second category. Your church is intentionally seeking to function like an aircraft carrier. You see what you do together is not being about yourselves, 
but about how God wants to use you in the world around you. That was the vision of why this church was planted. It's why the elders have stayed for the duration of why, why they've been here. It's the purpose that is in your heart, I believe, as you sit here today. And the great thing about that is this missional perspective is woven into everything we do. It's how we operate as families. It's what we do with our children. And it's the way that God wants us to be used by him in the world around us. You see, for all of you that are here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a certain level of influence. You are a leader whether you believe yourself to be a leader or not. There are people who are going to look to you and see you as a person of change and influence in their life. And so if that's true, then maybe we ought to be thinking strategically about how God wants to do that. First, how does he want to do that in my personal life? But second, how does he want to do that in my family life? And then third, what's the effect of that in the world around us? You know, we read from 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I think that passage is, is an interesting passage. I, I like to kind of think of it as Paul's call of discipleship. Like, what are his expectations on discipleship? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it again just to remind, it, remind us of, of, what God's, of what Paul's saying to us here. It says, you, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted him. And an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, I know for, for many of you, you've probably read these verses before. And I think especially that 2 Timothy 2.2 passage is something that is often quoted when we think about discipleship. And hear me clearly. I, I think that, that part is really important. That multi-generational component is extremely important. As you think about making and multiplying disciples, you're not talking about the work that God's called you to do as an individual, but how he's wanting you to work on a generational level. Parents, for your children, God wants you to be influential, not just in their lives, but in your grandchildren's lives and your great-grandchildren's lives. And that's true in the physical realm, but that's also true in the spiritual realm. You're designed to have a generational influence on others. See, Paul, in this passage, he, he lists out for us exactly those generations. See, Paul's the one who's writing the letter. Paul's the first generation. And he's writing to Timothy. That's that second generation. And he tells Timothy that you are to entrust faithful men. That would be the third generation. And those faithful men are to entrust that work to others. That's that fourth generation. Now, multi-generational discipleship is not a new concept. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to the giving of the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, it says the blessings and cursings of God carry on to the third and fourth generation. See, that's a biblical concept that's true in our lives. So as you're making disciples, here's you, and you're running after Jesus. But as you're doing that, you're training 
a second generation, your disciple, to also run after Jesus. And together, you're going to help this third generation to learn to run after Jesus. And ultimately, the goal is that together, you're helping others to also learn to run after Jesus. In your family, are you thinking in those terms? As you're leading your children, are you thinking about what I do today has influence not just on my children right now, but upon the fruit of generations that are to come afterwards? You know, I shared that I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but my grandmother was a follower of Jesus, and she prayed for me often. And whenever my, in my family, the, the first person who gave their life to Christ was my older sister. But she gave her life to Jesus because my grandmother had so invested into her life that it changed who she was. And then as a result of that, I saw how Christ changed my sister and it changed my life. And the result of my life being changed, I ended up getting to lead my father to Jesus and my mother to Jesus and getting to baptize them. That's a generational work that's nothing I can take credit for. It's because someone else had the foresight to say, what God wants to do is bigger than this moment. Parents, as you, you think about your children, are you thinking about how you're modeling for them what God wants to do in their lives long into the future? Are you being an example to them of Christ-like leadership? Are you willingly denying yourself? Are you leading with the heart of service and gratitude? Are you able to humble yourself, admit when you're wrong? You know, I, I know that happens in our family a lot. I have to go to my children and apologize and tell them, dad was not a good example for you in this area. Will you please forgive him for this? You see, that, that type of interaction with our kids gives them the open door to let Jesus work like that in their lives. Are we doing that first with ourselves? Are we leading the way that Jesus led? If we don't lead that way, it will be nearly impossible for our children to be able to see that because they haven't seen it modeled for them. Jesus said it this way. When a disciple is fully formed, he will be like his teacher. So if you want to see something in the lives of your children or in the people you're discipling, you've got to first express it in your own life. In our passage, Paul makes this illusion of athletics. And I think for me, this is what really hits home. My, my wife and I were both athletes in college, went to different schools, but I was a baseball player. She was a basketball player. She still holds an NCAA record. Her nickname was Noah in college because she always shot outside the arc, okay? She held the, the Indiana State three-point record until one of the girls that she coached in high school ended up breaking her record. She's a much better athlete than I am, but I love these pictures in scripture where Paul gives us something that's maybe a little more relatable to this moment. In, in verses five and six, Paul says this, he says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the share of the first crops. Here's the thing, what, what Paul's really driving at in this passage is this. Know the destination. Know why you exist. Know what's happening around you. That's that athlete knowing what's going on around them. Compete. Compete fairly. Compete according to the rules. Do it the right way. And then finally, 
Work hard. Work hard. Work with diligence. Those three things, know the destination, compete fairly, and work hard to get there. Those three things, I think, are essential in how we orchestrate our families, what we do with our lives, and, and how we begin to see disciples grown and multiplied. I was very fortunate when, whenever I gave my life to Jesus, I, I had some godly friends around me who kind of just took me in. Some of them literally started discipling me and teaching me about following Jesus. And one of the first things that one of my friends did is he had me come into his home, and we started talking about how does God want to use you in the world around you? So as a, a set of roommates, we came up with a mission statement. What is it that God wants us to be about? And so that mission statement was something that as we had dinner together, as we were out about town, as we were just goofing around playing on the video games or doing whatever we were doing back in the day, we would ask these questions. How's your walk with Jesus? How is God using you in the world around you? What are you learning from scripture? How does God want to use that to shape the people that you're investing into? How often are you getting to the gospel? What scriptures are you memorizing? Those are just normal conversations that we were having in our home. And what it taught me was the value of intentionality, knowing the destination, knowing that you live for something bigger than the moment. When we know the destination, we can begin to formulate a plan on how to get there. So for our family, we, we felt it was important that we sat down and, and we write a family mission statement. And our, our family mission statement is, is not the, the greatest thing in the world, but I think it's a picture of how God uses us as individuals, how he's uniquely wired us, and allows us to maximize who we are. Our mission statement says this. It says that we will live intentionally different from the world around us. We want our kids to process decisions not the way the world processes decisions, but the way that God would have them to. Second, it says that we will lead with humility, that we'll act and interact in the world in a way that expresses the character of Christ. That, that's that humility component. It says that we're gonna go all in. Whatever you do, you're gonna do it with all of your heart. Every adventure that God places before us, whether it's something we enjoy or something we hate, we're gonna do it to the best of our abilities. We're never gonna give up. We're gonna go all in on everything that's before us. And we're gonna put God's kingdom first that the way that we choose to interact with the world around us is, is not about what I want or what's comfortable, but it's about the kingdom of God. How does Jesus want to work through us? And finally, whatever we do, we're gonna compete. We're gonna compete with the character of Jesus Christ. It means that the way that we are gonna look at the world is that we're gonna work with diligence, but we're gonna do it that Jesus might be exalted through our choices. Now, I told you a little bit about my, my wife and myself and you know, our, our kids, as your kids are, are much like us. All of our kids play different sports, and we think there's a, a valuable lesson in that for them. Each of our kids, except for our five-year-old, has at one point or another been selected as a captain of one of their teams. We believe that that's an anointing from God upon their life to leverage that position for the kingdom of God. But if mom and I don't help them to see how to do that, what's the point? Then they're just competing in sports. And competing in sports is good, but that's not the goal of this life. That's not why they're in those sports. They're in those sports because they're there to be a reflection of Jesus in their classes. They may get good grades. They may struggle with grades. The question is, 
why does God have you in those classes? What are you there for? What's the purpose behind being there? Whenever they know the destination is that Jesus might be exalted in me and through me in every situation in which I find myself, and they buy into that, then there's a willingness on their part to put aside their own desires and sacrifice that God may be exalted through them. And so our, our conversations around the dinner table are, hey, how are your classes going? How is Jesus using you in the lives of your friends? What does it look like with the people that he's placed around you that need to hear your stories? They need to hear the life of Christ through your echo. One of my daughters has a, a close friend of hers that she led to Jesus about a year and a half ago. This girl was pregnant and pursuing an abortion. And instead of being ostracized by the Christian, the Christian's the one who loves her and brings her in and cares for her and leads her to Jesus in the midst of that. You see, that's how God wants to use your kids. That's how he wants us to work. He wants us to be engaged in the world in such a way that you become the way that Jesus is speaking to them. It requires intentionality on the parts of our family for us to be able to let God use us in that way. It's not accidental. It's with purposefulness. Who are your kids praying for? How are you joining them in prayer? What are the things that they sense the Spirit of God is wanting to stir up? How are you going to help them in that process? As I said, all of our kids play in a sport, except for the five-year-old. All of our kids play in a sport. Oftentimes, our, our drives to and from practices are us talking and praying about those things. Who do you see on your team that you think God is working in right now? What parents do you need mom and dad to be talking to and to help them to see how Jesus wants to work in their family? You see, that level of intentionality is important because God wants to use them to change the world. That's that generational component. You're not just there to exist. You're there because God's using you to lay a foundation. Years ago, I was traveling to, uh, to visit one of our teams. This is a, a few years back, and I was gone for about two weeks, helping one of our, our, our ministry teams get started. And when I, I came home, my, my daughter was so excited to see me. My daughter was a, uh, was a gymnast. She was the number two gymnast in the state of Texas. She'd finished second in the state, and, and she'd been training at a particular gym facility here in town, the, the Evelyn Rubenstein Gymnastics Facility. And if you guys know what that is, then you're more educated than I was at the time. Uh, we put her in that particular gymnastics facility because it is hosted at the Jewish Community Center, and it is primarily Jewish kids that are a part of this particular gymnastics program. And we knew it'd be a great place for her to be able to minister to the families that were there. My daughter says to me, when I, I walk in the door, she says, Daddy, Daddy, guess what happened? I said, what, what happened? She said, well, you know, I've been praying for Marissa. I said, yeah. She said, Marissa gave her life to Jesus while you were gone. I said, well, tell me about it. And she says, well, we were, we were doing a workout, and, and it was so hard, and she was so discouraged, and I started telling her about how Jesus wants to come and take away your pain and let you know that he wants to be there with you. And so we prayed together, and she, she accepted Jesus, and, and I'm starting a Bible study with her. Now, that's super exciting in and of itself. Marissa happens to be one of the rabbi's daughters, okay? So 
this particular family, uh, my wife and I had already been trying to reach out with the rabbi and, and with his wife, and they weren't super excited about Christians being involved in what they were doing. But when they heard about this, and they heard about the compassion of my daughter caring for their daughter in the midst of her pain, they were okay with her studying the scriptures together with her because they saw the expression of Jesus in her life. In that conversation, my, my daughter says this. I've never heard this before. With just the most genuine excitement I've ever heard, she says, only 437 left to go. I said, what? She said, well, that's the third girl on my team that I've led to Jesus, and there's 500 girls that train at our gym. That means there's 437 girls left to go that are gonna come to know Jesus. And my heart just immediately melted within me because here's this 12-year-old that has the faith to believe God can use me to not just bring one or two people to Jesus, but to see my entire sphere of influence come to know Jesus Christ. As a father, you know how excited you are for those type of victories? That's the kind of stuff that, that I, I think I struggle as an adult to believe. But here she is as an 11 or 12-year-old just going, Jesus can do anything. He has power over all things. And that's the kind of faith that I want to encourage in those that, that we lead. That's the kind of faith I want to see in my children. You know, that idea I think is, is so important for us. We have to be strategic. If we're not strategic with our time, if we're not strategic with our children, we'll lose the opportunities that are before us. The month of April, uh, as, as our school year was coming to a close, I was talking to my son. He's going into his senior year and asking him, what do you think God has on his heart for this upcoming school year? And this is what he told me. He said, I believe their school has no FCA on campus, no Young Life, no, there's no Christian group allowed on their campus, period. And he said, I, I've got a couple of friends that I've been discipling that are following Jesus, but I believe that there's four that are really influential on campus, and those four this summer, I'm gonna really target because I believe God's gonna use them to help us to start a church on campus this next year, that we're gonna start a small group on campus that studies the Bible to begin to change our campus. I think that's great. So I asked him, I said, well, how are you gonna get there? I have no idea, Dad. How am I gonna do that? So we spent the next couple weeks praying together and talking and strategizing. How is God gonna use you? And how can you be a person that God uses to change the world around you? You see, that's intentionality. Talk with your kids about this. They want to be involved in what Jesus is doing. Back to our passage. Last couple verses here. I'm sorry, not the last, we're gonna go back to the first verse. We, we skipped this at the beginning. In, in chapter two, verse one, Paul says this. He says, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, if I was gonna give you one last piece of advice as you're working to develop discipleship within your family, learn how to strengthen your faith, learn how to strengthen your family in the grace of God. It never hurts to dream big. It never hurts to have these incredible things that you're praying for because God has grace to help you to overcome the obstacles that are there. 
do we develop that value within our children of helping them to, to dream about what God is doing? Do we help them to see the world through the lens of what is God doing right now? Where is his spirit at work? Because if we want them to grow in grace, they have to step into a moment of grace. They have to step into a place of grace. You know, when, when Pastor Steve called me uh, to ask me about coming here, I was literally dropping off one of my teenage daughters to walk into a Pakistani home, and she was doing her first Bible study with this Pakistani girl that's never heard of Jesus before. I'm so excited for her to see the fruit of her own investment into the kingdom. Will this girl come to Jesus? I don't know. But I know this. I know my daughter will be blessed by her obedience in doing what she knows God wants her to do because she's stepping into a moment of grace, a place where she can experience God working through her. Because when you see God working in you and through you, and it's cheered on by other followers of Jesus, and they can say, praise God that you are acting with courage and boldness and faith. Your faith is grown and encouraged. You see, that's what that grace is about. That's how we walk in God's grace. How do we grow that in our lives? Well, I think the number one thing that you can do in your family to grow God's grace in your life, put this in your heart. I know that sounds silly, but this is the language of God. Yes, does the Spirit speak beyond this? He does, but he always speaks in harmony with this. And so if you hide his word in your heart and you let him speak to you through his word, he will challenge you to do things that are uncomfortable and you'll be able to discern if it's him or if it's you because you'll hear his voice through his word. You know, for our children, we, we've made it a point. Our, our oldest kids have been through the Bible. I've, I've been through the Bible with them cover to cover five times. Our, our youngest one, our five-year-old, we're finishing up right now our second time from cover to cover through Scripture. And I'm sharing that with you not because I think that that's what the goal you should shoot for. I'm sharing it with you because I think there should be intentionality of putting God's Word into their life. Because what happens is they believe it. They celebrate it. They see Jesus working. Yesterday, we we were out with a couple of my girls and we're going on a daddy date. We go to get snow cones. And while we're sitting there, there's this young couple, probably 18, 19, had, had, a, had a young kid and we end up talking about Jesus. We get to share Christ with them and my girls are, are there and they're talking about their faith with this, young, with this young couple, about how Jesus has been real in their life. That's just the norm. That's the expectation because they have so saturated their life with the word of God that why wouldn't I take every opportunity to make him known? Why wouldn't I see the world around me through that lens? As you spend time in God's word, it gives you the time to also spend time in prayer to know what's on their heart. As I, I listen to my kids pray, I get to hear their concerns. I get to hear the things that they're excited about. I get to hear the things that they're anxious about. And it allows my wife and I to know how do we help them and foster them through that process. We pray with them, we pray for them, we pray over them. But most importantly, we have them have their own interactions with Jesus. 
We help them to believe and trust that God has power over all things and that they're a part of his story. That whole idea, it becomes something that gains synergy in your home. Last week, my, one of my, my middle daughters, my 11-year-old, she's begging my wife, can we please go visit our new neighbors? We just had neighbors moved in from Azerbaijan. And I, I've met the father. He's a, a Muslim man. His wife is a Muslim woman, and their kids are, are Muslim children. And my 11-year-old is, is going, Mom, can we please go visit this family? She's not doing it because she's extroverted. In fact, this is probably my most introverted child. But she's doing it because she knows they need to hear Jesus. They need to see someone that's willing to step into their life and be the hands and feet of Jesus and love them and contextualize Jesus in that moment. And I think for, for most of our kids, that's what they wanna see. They want mom and dad to help them to see how real Jesus is and how Jesus can use even them as young people for his purposes. I think that, that whole idea is maybe the, the centerpiece of what we do in the kingdom. It's how we make disciples ourselves, but it's also how we train up disciples as, in our children. It's how we help them to see how God can use them. So these four things, we multiply generations. We're not looking for just the moment. We're looking for the long-term effect. How are we gonna multiply generations? How are we gonna deny ourselves? put aside our, our own desires, and stay focused like a soldier on the mission. See the destination that God has. Know this is how he wants us to be working and moving right now. Third, we want to compete. We want to work hard. We want to be diligent about the work of the kingdom. And finally, we want to always be growing in the grace of God. Amen? Amen. I believe if we stay focused on those things, if that's what fills our heart, if that's what our children see within us, then our children will become world changers. They'll go further than you. That's that multiple generation component. They'll do more than what you have ever dreamed or done. If we'll stay focused on those things, the effect will be your community will be changed, your schools will be changed, your children's children will be changed because of how you chose to put the kingdom of God into their life. That's what I want to work towards. That's what I believe is discipleship in the family, cheering those things on so that they are walking into those purposes, not because it's a responsibility, not because they're being asked or told to do those things, but because they love Jesus to the extent that they say, I'll put aside what I want to do. I'll put aside playing Minecraft. I'll put aside hanging out with my friends. I wanna see Jesus exalted through me. And I do it willingly because I've learned to love him. Amen? Pastor Steve, if you wanna come on up. I know I threw a lot of things at you guys, but um, I genuinely think this topic is of, of such sincere importance that I pray for each of you as parents that you'll consider what this might mean for you but for those of you that aren't parents yet, what's the path? Where are you going at this point? And how is God gonna use you 
to be a person of influence in the lives of others. So I'll throw it back at you, Steve.